welcome to another edition. And how is La La doing? I am very good. Very excited and about We time. got Gene Hudson, Derek Galloway sliding into the rear. Yeah, well, everybody's coming in. So what we got in store tonight there, Lala? We have three guests. We have Race Hobbs, Mike Ricksecker, and Vinny Vineyard. He is a second-time guest. Yes, good old Vinny. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, our, uh, we got our sponsors and everybody. Make sure and check them out there in our YouTube comments. And we'll bring everybody in right now. Stand by and welcome there. We got Race Hobbs. Welcome. Mike, welcome. And Vinny, come on down. Uh-oh. I think we got in the middle of something here. I can read lips. He was like, run, help me. Um, welcome, everybody. It's, it's great to be here. Oh, thank you. We're very happy that yeah, you're here. Thank you so much. If you guys want to go around, introduce yourselves or in the, anything you're working on or want yes. to promote. Yeah. Go ahead, Ray. Start us off. You want me to start first? Okay. Sure. Um, my name is Ray Hobbs, of course, as you just mentioned, and I am the program director for the Unex Network. Uh, coming up this Halloween will be our second year anniversary. We're just now about to turn two years old wow. and uh i jumped on board this new project with uh margie k to start this new network out of kansas city missouri and um and it's been a lot of fun and uh you know we we just uh decided to come up with a new platform um i had started kgra radio uh, mm -hmm. with a couple of friends back in 2011 2012 and I worked there. I, I owned it for eight years. I worked for them for two more years and, uh, and then departed there after 10 years. And, uh, and it's still running big success. Wow. Hold it to, uh, one of the guys who originally co-founded it with me. Mm -hmm. He came back after about eight years and, and, and wanted to buy it. And, uh, and I, so I was, I thought, man, this is a good deal. Cause I was going to take a break. I, I was really just, you know, I was, I had been working seven days a week, uh, you know, for, for all that time <laughs> and producing about 35 shows and 40 hosts. It was, uh, it was wow. a, a lot of work and, um, I was ready to take a break. And then as soon as an old friend of mine, Margie found out that I was leaving she called me up and dragged me right back in <laughs> and made me an offer I couldn't uh, couldn't uh, uh, refuse. So I love doing it. I love doing radio, live radio. I love doing live broadcasts, uh, you know, now on video, although I hate being on video. And mm -hmm. I, I love doing it. I think it's really cool. And, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to get to do what I do. And, um, so if you guys, uh, ever want to take a ride, man, just go to unexnetwork.com and take a look at what we got. We syndicate great folks like Mike Ricksecker here, Whitley Street, mm -hmm. Micah Hanks, LA Marzulli. A lot of my friends, we wanted to have a place with a good number of veterans, but there were so many bright, young, talented up and comers that are coming into the alternative talk uh, platform, uh, genre 
on on various platforms that we wanted to you know we wanted to work with as many of those as we could but we also wanted to surround them with a lot of veterans that could be there to help them and guide them and and give them good uh good uh, counsel and good information so that's what we're trying to do over there and it's uh you know now that we're closing in on the end of our second year it's it's uh it's it's been a lot of fun and we're uh you know heading in the right direction that's awesome yeah thank you mike you want to go yeah i'll go next so mike ricksecker author researcher filmmaker i like Ray said, I'm on uh, on X Network there with my show Connecting the Universe. I also do uh, podcasts. My latest book is Travels Through Time. Just came out in August. It explores fourth dimension, time travel, and what I call stack time theory. So mm -hmm. been on a number of the different shows and things like that, like Ancient Aliens, The Unexplained, some some others. Um, have a number of events coming up. I'm doing a uh, Connecting the Universe the event which is uh, going to be at the Oliver House in Middleborough, Massachusetts. I have an online event, uh, which is the Unveiling the Shadows Workshop. Um, going to be at Conscious Life Expo in L.A. in February. And then I have my um, uh, Stargates of Ancient Egypt tour in April. So that's an annual tour that we do. So, yeah, I have a, mm -hmm. have a lot going on. Very, very busy. And, um, yeah, it's just wonderful to come out on shows like this and, talk about strange phenomena thank you awesome. so much benny <laughs> welcome benny well, hey kids how you doing my name is uh benny vineyard i'm a, I'm a kind of a jerk it says there on my uh <laughs> my placket there i uh pro wrestler actor filmmaker ghost hunter uh Base slapper, long-suffering New York Jets fan. <laughs> um, you know, there's the whole the whole gambit. So uh just uh got back from Charleston, West Virginia. I never thought I would ever uh go into that city uh and not get into some sort of gunplay with the Pinkerton De Detective Agency or something, but uh I was I was so uh impressed with that little town. Everybody was sweet as heck. And uh, treated me real nice. We got to, uh, I want to, uh, it was a radio conference. Uh, I used to be in radio uh, years and years ago, uh, except uh, my children uh, seemed to like this thing called eating, which happened, uh, I don't know, they, they seemed to like that three times a day, freaking little spoiled a-holes. So uh Anyway, I had to get out of radio, but I was at the uh, 2023 National Grassroots um, Independent Radio Conference up there, and we have a movie about a radio station um, that uh, went over pretty well the first night. I'm wearing a shirt here. This is the actual, there's a 30-seat cinema. I love this little thing. It was You, you would go into a, a bookstore, you'd go underneath the bookstore, and it was like this little covert... Uh, little gimmick down there with about 30 seats and it was real oh, wow. it was just kind of it was kind of a neat little place the first night people loved the movie they were throwing babies up in the air and laughing their butts off and and uh and then the second night they they were bemused but uh a little less enthusiastic in fact one guy came up after he goes hey Vinny, nice job on that movie and i said hey man thanks he goes you ever seen a movie called trash humpers 
I said, what? He said, you ever seen a movie called Trash Humpers? Mm -hmm. I said, no. You like it? He goes, no, I hate it, but I think you might like it. So I don't think that guy dug the movie too well. Oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we had a good time. I'm still trying to, uh, I don't know, anytime I travel, I'm getting to the age now where uh, I can't. I can't be in a car more than four hours before I. Uh, it, it affects me for three days. So I'm still kind of trying to get back to normal. Mm -hmm. So that's me. Thank you. I have a question for Mike really quick. You said okay. something about stacked time. Is that correct? Yeah. Can you explain that to everybody? Sure. So uh, it's basically the, the concept that time doesn't really exist it's all concurrent so uh you know, time is just a human construct something that we invented mm -hmm. as a measuring mechanism so that you know we know when to plant the crops we know when to uh you know, when the seasons are going to change and keep track of that when to show up at work on time so our supervisors you know don't get upset with us so mm -hmm. you know, time itself however does not really exist it's it's all one thing in the fourth dimension now we have up to 11 uh hyperspatial dimensions so once you start uh rising out of the fourth and then you go into the fifth sixth seventh and beyond the fourth dimension time becomes just one object but i liken it to okay take where you're sitting right now and every moment that has happened is happening and will happen Again, are all happening concurrently. And each moment that's there is like a photograph. And all those photographs are stacked on top of each other mm -hmm. to you know, resemble time. Now, we have some strange things that happen in our world where, because everything's uh, resonance, frequency, and vibration, where two of those moments will resonate at the same frequency for just a moment, and you'll get a glimpse of another point in time. And whoever's in that other point in time, we'll also get a glimpse of you. So something like we would call a time slip. But sometimes you get chalked up to like ghosts, hauntings, and other things. That's interesting. It really is, yeah. It, it makes sense. It does. But that would explain a lot of things, especially some of the ghost situations don't really sound like real ghost situations, but nobody's taught what you're talking about. So that's right. good. Interesting. Yeah, and that's and that's what the entire new book travels through time is is about. Yeah. Now you yourself look like you're being projected in sepia tone. Are you are you somewhere yeah, in time? Something, yeah, something like that. I don't know. Something funny's going on with my lighting. I've played around with it a little bit before we went live, but yeah. you look good. You're gonna get gunned but down yeah, by I'll Billy probably, the Kid. You got to be careful. Yeah, I'm, I'm back in 1912. <laughs> <laughs> <That's good. laughs> um. Before, I know other people are going to have questions, but I'd like to ask everybody, what is an experience that you will never forget? Just something that sticks with you. I know Vinny said something um, paranormal, but it could be any, um, it could be shadow people or aliens or whatever your, your experiences. Do you want to go race? Oh yeah. Uh, I've, I've got a few of those. Uh, <clears throat> the, the probably I think the one 
the one thing that probably sticks with me the most was a, a shadow situation. I, I don't want to call it a, a shadow person. Mm. Um, my family and I were moving. We just bought a new house and this one, in fact, and we were, um, we were moving the final stuff out of the far end of the far corner of the house, the room in the far back corner. It was actually, it was a weight bench. And it's like, we had turned that into like a exercise room. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was all that we had left. And it was a corner, uh, it was a corner room that had a half bath in it and a window on the end, on the uh, south end of the house and a window on the east side of the house. And the, you know, the curtains were all removed. The blinds were taken down and everything. It was just windows, right? And my stepson and I were, um, we were going down this long hallway and the door is on that wall right there to the left. And he just took the knob, he opened the door and he took about a step, a full step inside that doorway and I was right behind him about to, and something went from our right to our left and completely shadowed out that whole room. Wow. I mean, the whole, this was broad daylight, like one o'clock, not a cloud in the sky outside. Mm-hmm. And whatever it was came from our right and went to our left and everything went dark. And then it, the light came. And by the time the light came back, I was already jumping backwards and he was jumping backwards. It was like we were attached. Like if I hadn't jumped, he would have hit me, but we were do we did the same thing together, jumped backwards together. And that whole, and that's all that happened, but it just, it baffled me. Even the door was open to the half bath and it had a little window in it. So there was three windows that were wide open and two of them were about five and a half, six feet off the ground. And they were, you know, four foot windows. Mm-hmm. And you would have had to have like at least two people, if not three, to, to shadow out that third window in that bathroom mm-hmm. blocks with something big to block the light that came in from those windows. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you. I went outside. There was nobody out there. We were both rattled. You know what I mean? Like it, it, cause everybody that knows me knows I don't do ghosts. And, you know, I've been in this paranormal stuff for like 30 years and you can't drag me into one of them places. <laughs> oh, house. I'm not, I'm not it's not, it's not, that's not my thing. If I can't put a 12 gauge shell through it, I'm not messing. (laughs) And so that stirred me pretty good. Um, But I've seen, I've seen ghosts before, like, and things that I'm still not sure if they were or not. Mm. But that one, it still, it it pickled my brain because I just couldn't figure out how you could get all of that light out of that room right for that amount of time you know without a sound no smell no 
no cold or nothing, you know, right. like people say. And and the and the thing that really kind of spooks me about it is my daughter on the other end of the house. Um, I was watching a football game, and back then we had projection screen TVs, so before flat screens, right? And it was right by the wall that led through a door that went down to the pantry. And she just she she had a, a clothes basket on her hip. And she opened the door and she just froze and I'm watching the game and I look over and see her just standing there. And I, and I, and I said, honey, are you okay? And she just, she didn't even acknowledge me. So I got up and I went over there when I was, she was about 30 feet from me. Cause it was a big den and then a little like breakfast nook. And then there she was. And when I got to her, she just turned and looked at me with this blank look in her face. And she said, I just saw something. And I was like, what, where? And I looked down in the, the doorway. I said, what'd you see? And she said, it was a black hole. Oof. It was a black hole that had like sparks and little lightning sparks shooting around the outside of it. She said wow. it was about the size of a basketball. And I said, could you see through it? And she said, no. She said, that's what I was looking at because the, 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 the doors that go into the pantry were those louvered doors that mm -hmm. had louvers on them. And she said, I couldn't see those louvers through it. And she was like, my God, dad, what was that? And I was like, well, I don't know, but it ain't there now. Let's just do the laundry tomorrow. <laughs> and i went back in there and tried to focus on watching the game and i'm looking around the house for black right balls with sparks shooting out of them and shit and i th that happened first and then when we moved about six months later that whole shadow thing happened in that room and you know so those two things combined together kind of made for a little spooky element for me Oh yeah, you know that 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 one. It's just because I can't figure out how that could have happened. Grizzly's got the holy water. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, for somebody to be outside and do it, they would have had like to have some big panels, like say a four by eight sheet of plywood or something, and both of them would have had to gone in front of those windows with it or something. But they, there was, I didn't see any of that, <clears throat> and it was, it, and it darkened the room, y'all. I mean, it, it, it was so obvious, and that my son jumped back, and I jumped back at the same time together, like it was choreographed. It was crazy, and for me, because I'm an alien guy, I'm a UFO guy. You know what I mean? That was my thing, and what my interest was, and in all of this, all these yeah. years. And, you know, for me to. Uh, when these ghost things happen around me, I get rattled. Well, some people think that they could be alien or interdimensional. Nobody really knows exactly what they are. I've had one, I have two experiences, but one, I was in my bedroom and it came out of a really bright, small portal and it slid across the wall and it was like the face was silhouette to the side, but the body was forward and it just slid across into a darker room but it was pure black i didn't get a i mean it it scared me but i didn't get a scary feeling from that one the second one years later i did but i'm not sure what that was but yeah when you say it's 
it's it's black. It's it's definitely black. Yeah, there's no seeing through any of that. It was crazy. It was crazy, for sure. Mike, you want to go? <clears throat> All right. Yeah, let's trade shadow stories. So <laughs> I am and, ready. Yeah, and, and, and race knows I've done a lot of research in this area. Um, so the first real significant paranormal experience that I had, um, yeah, I was a little kid, about eight years old. And it's, it starts off as kind of the classic tale where I'd woken up in the middle of the night and there's this tall, dark figure standing in the corner of my bedroom. And, you know, at that age, I had no idea, no concept of shadow person, shadow being, anything like that. I'm just thinking somebody's broken into the house and they're either going to rob the place or they're going to kill me. You know, I figured I had a, enough time to gasp like, oh, and that was it. I was a goner. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm still alive to tell the tale, uh, which is which is a nice thing. I appreciate that. Uh, but it did get physical with me. So this thing uh, starts approaching my bed, and I'm trying to scream, but no, I'm just too terrified, so nothing's coming out of my mouth. Mm. Um, and leans over my bed. I'm staring at this blank black face, and there's, like, nothing there. No eyes, no nose, no mouth, nothing. Mm -hmm. And grab me by the wrists, cross my arms across my body like that, and then ran off down the hall you know, all places into a closet you know no idea why i ran into the closet you know that was the portal to hell in there or something i don't no, know <laughs> so uh finally found my voice found my legs ran off screaming to my parents bedroom and i'm you know trying to tell them about what happened they're nice parents trying to calm me down and trying to tell me that i had just had a bad dream but you know i knew i hadn't had a bad dream i was a, i was awake for this whole thing so Many years later, and that's really what got me onto that research. Once I started uh, investigating and, and researching, that was something that I always wanted to have answered. And so uh, had a you know, very, very large focus into the world of shadows and, you know, eventually ended up writing my book, A Walk in the Shadows. Mm -hmm. um, two years ago, I went through a hypnotic regression. And one of the things I wanted to find out was, you know, what the heck happened that particular night because i you know once i started telling the story and talking to a lot of people and people are sharing stories with me and all that um you know, a couple different psychic mediums i had talked to and there are two separate ones at completely different points in time they didn't know each other from anybody and two of them had suggested well maybe they thought you were dead and we're putting you into a burial pose you know like the old crook and flail out of ancient egypt like, well, okay it's not a bad idea maybe um but uh, so i went through this hypnotic regression and we did a number of things you know uh we we did a uh we saw a past life and all that stuff um then we went to go visit that moment and what was interesting is when we were in that moment the uh hypnotherapist actually channeled the entity wow. that had visited me that night and I actually got a perspective from that shadow being looking down at my little eight-year-old self, which was really weird, but, but very cool at the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, I could also feel like the emotions of this being as well. So when you know, looking down at my little eight-year-old self and the mouth opens up and everything's mm -hmm. just so scared, this entity actually felt bad. You know, it, it didn't mean to scare me. It didn't think that I could actually see it. And once it realized that I could and that it was scaring me, the whole 
crossing the arms across my body was like trying to put me into a self hug. And I actually got a, uh, a visual from that perspective, which was different than when I was a kid that it actually patted me on the wrist too, kind of like a reassurance. And then it got out of there. So it would stop scaring me. So it's completely different perspective. So then Ariana, the hypnotherapist started asking some questions like, you know, who are you? Why are you here? That sort of thing. And, you know, basically this was a being, an entity that was really on like a research mission. And it's, it's job that night uh, was to, you know, study humanity and study a human child. I happened to pick my room hmm. uh, and again, didn't realize that I could see it in, until it, in, you know, until I reacted. And so then of course she asked the question, you know, where are you from? And the answer was you know, another space. So she followed up, you know, do you mean like another dimension? And the response was kind of cryptic. Uh, I responded with, well, you might call it another dimension, but really it's another space. So kind of giving us this idea that, yeah, we might have some vague ideas about how the universe really works, but not really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So this was really some what we would call like an interdimensional being. Wow. That's amazing. And it makes sense why a lot of people do have just weird experiences from them. They're checking, they're studying us. That that makes sense. Yeah, a lot of these are watchers, observers. We get we get creeped out and scared and things like that. Cause I mean, they are invading our space. There are intruders into our lives on a lot of these occasions. A lot of times it really depends on the situation. Sometimes just running down the hall or, you know, we might see one flitting in the woods or something like that. But the ones that, you know, when we wake up and we see them standing there, a lot of them are just watching, observing, staring. It's creepy, but they're not, they're usually not doing something malevolent. Right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Hands on sure. you. Wow. Benny, you want to share a story? Well, I'd like to, kind of echo off what Mike just said. See, um, we do a ghost show, a paranormal show called Wrestling with Ghosts, and it's been on the air on small, crappy televisions since, uh, television stations since uh, 2016. And we have insane evidence. I've always been baffled at the evidence that we got, and uh, it's always hard to answer a question like this because I've seen just in a few... And, and really, we've been making movies for the last two and a half, three years. So we've really taken a, we haven't been out investigating as much as we used to. I've seen just a myriad of insane stuff, but I would like to uh, jump off what he says. And I think one reason that we do is that we, um, I don't think necessarily all the spirits, all the little hobgoblins, all the little shadows and stuff are ghosts. I think. Uh, and I've always thought this. Um, no, Luke, you behave yourself. There's a lady present. There's a lot of taint humor with the group. He's uh, Luke is my uh, tag team partner in wrestling. He's seven feet tall. And he's never kissed a woman. So any takers out there? Uh, oh, that's fair. Do you, have a, do you have a sound effect where the people are crying in unison? That's what that means. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's closer. But the reason that I think we get a lot of evidence is because we, I don't know, the ghost thing never made sense to me. What made sense to me is when I was a kid, I read a, a 
C.S. Lewis trilogy, the space trilogy. And one of the books is called Out of the Silent Planet. That was one of the first ones. And it's about, it's an early, it's an actually pre-NASA space trilogy where he got a lot of things about space travel wrong. And he definitely got with the surface of Venus and Mars completely wrong. But it's still a, a neat book to kind of see this retro futuristic stuff. But there is a uh, an angel um, in the book called an Eldil. And the Eldils were entities that you could barely see. In fact, the sunlight would have to kind of catch them in a particular way. And they would kind of communicate and it would kind of sound like wind chimes or music, if, if my memory serves. So when I when things started happening in my life with uh, paranormal stuff, I never really thought they were dead people. But I always thought one of the things I think that they could be are beings that you cannot perceive. Um, and we have no idea what they're doing. They could be going through dimensions. They could be... Uh, uh, residual energy and um, or they could they could just they they don't necessarily have to be demons aliens anything they could be things we don't even know that exist you mm-hmm. know they, we find species on this planet all the time that we didn't know exist they find thousands of species every year still uh, with all this science we're still discovering things so there's probably uh, creatures, it makes sense to my brain that we can't, we don't have the perceptors, if that's a word, to perceive these entities. And I definitely think uh, we are surrounded. Uh, and there's, you know, even the Bible says there's four dimensions. Well, we don't even know what the hell the fourth one is. We just perceive in three. Uh, if something does exist in a fourth dimension interwoven with the other three, we can't perceive that. So I, I think a lot of times when you're in a house, when you're in somewhere and you're saying all this spooky stuff like, how did you die? You know, these things, whatever's in the space is like, Jesus, man, it's three in the morning. I'm trying to get some sleep. When you go in there with a different <laughs> attitude and and instead of being morose about uh, the line of questioning and you bring some more energy into it, I think uh, you get better results, and that's kind of what we've done in our catalog. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think uh, that's an interesting story, and uh, I I do think that's pretty congruent with what I believe is actually going on with a lot of these uh, spiritual uh, uh, rendezvous that we have. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely agree. We, We don't know half of what's out there. So if that, right. And right. we're just, we're barely just scratching the surface. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I see people walking down the street and I'm not sure what they are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he did remind me though. when he said, uh, like, you know, when Mike was talking about like energy, there was a, we lived in a house. If I may, I don't want to, you know, derail. Please, but, yeah, go ahead. But, but like, we when when I first uh, met my wife Robin about twenty five years ago, the first place we got together was a very old. Cent- the central part of the house was super old. It was 
in the eight late like probably late 1800s when it was built it had a you know rock like a field stone foundation around it it was square had a very small living would have been a living room then which was a foyer you know when we were there but um it had a somewhat of a small kitchen and a dining room which was one room that that had been you know made all one big kitchen um there there was a big room attached to one end of the house and three attachments on the other end of the house and then a laundry and pantry attached to the back of the house so it had add-ons all the way around it but the front um one day i emptied a bag of sugar into you know canister um on the on the counter and I'm so super anal about trash. Like I took the bag and I fold it back up and I fold it all the way up into a little rectangle. You know what I mean? I put it in the top of the trash bin. Um, I'll take like, like the juice box I was talking about earlier with my grandson. I'll take that and, and open the top of it and I'll put like tissue and stuff. I'll, I'll pack it full of stuff before I throw it. <laughs> Um, but I had folded this, this bag up and put it in the trash later. I was in my master bedroom and it was huge. It was the whole length of the end of the house wide. And I had a sectional in one side of it and my bed over on the other side and a master bath and a walk-in closet. And I was sitting on the very end, uh, of the sectional and I was, reading a book and my dog jumps up and starts tearing up Jake. She was hair all the way up from her tail to the back of her head, standing straight up. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like it was urgent, like urgent. Um, I thought someone had come in through the back door of the house, through the pantry and like was coming in the house. So I reached down and got my pistol and I jacked a shell in it, chambered it. And I'm like going around, you know, I stood (laughs) up and I'm going around over top of the dog around the corner of the threshold of the door. And when I do, I see a bag of sugar. It looks like a full bag of sugar, just tilt and rock to a stop on the countertop. I don't see a soul, not a soul in there. And so I continue on around. (laughs) Diane's coming with me. We go around. We go into the the dining room part. There's nobody back in the kitchen there. I went through. The the door latch was locked from the inside. The deadbolt and the door on the handle was locked. No one came through. I cleared the room. No one was there. There was no, no, none of my kids were in there. There's one thing that I didn't check that it could have been. And that's how come I didn't tell you this story a minute ago and told you the other one. Later, I thought, you know, my stepson, he's a prankster, right? And he could have somehow maybe, you know, hidden you know, in some laundry or something in there that I didn't go through and check because I'm looking for bodies, upright people, you know, and I, and I didn't quite 
clear every little nook that that little sucker could have been hiding. But he swears that he didn't do it. He swears he had nothing to do with it. But um, I went to the trash and my heart is, it's pounding. And I'm like, if that trash, if that that bag is not in that, of sugar is not in that trash, I'm going to, you know, soil myself right here. And I, I step on the thing and it opens up and it wasn't there. And I look down that counter at that bag and it looks like it's full and the top is open. It's like someone put it over their mouth and just oh it hmm. and then just set it on the countertop. And I, ca I can't tell you how that got out of that trash on that counter, all full like that. Right. I, I just, I don't know how that happened. I don't, um, my son um, is, mm -mm. my stepson, he, <laughs> he's a sharp kid. But I don't think he would think up digging something out of the trash and putting it back on the counter. Oh, yeah. As something, you know. But with that, it could have happened. He could have got me, that little sucker. But <laughs> I don't think so. Because later, I mean, I saw I saw a ghost walk right through a wall while I was laying on my bed going to sleep. And I, I was looking that way in the dark. And I saw it go right through the wall. And there's, you know, there's no doorway there or nothing. And it was a man like fully, I saw the whole upper torso and head of him. And he mm -hmm. went right to the wall. And I just <laughs> laid there all night looking around, didn't tell my wife, didn't say nothing about it. But the most bizarre part of that place was we had an ice storm. And I'll just be real quick about it. We had an ice storm in Fort Smith. Um, and there was about two, three inches of ice on everything. And in, in that city, all the, the, uh, the electrical lines are above ground. They're all on poles. You know, there's none here where I live. They're all buried, but the trees get the ice on them and they snap and, and they break and they, you know, the electric lines are down everywhere. Right. So they had the whole grid of the, that, corner of the city it was shut clean off the whole grid was dead right and so we moved the kids and everybody in our big master bedroom and i had a kerosene heater that we put in you know in the uh in the bathroom and had it running in there keeping the heat for us mm -hmm. and um we were i was cooking food in our fireplace <laughs> like it was you know we we had natural gas but not the stove, just the, just the, you know, the, the hot water tank. Mm -hmm. And, um, man, I, I went and bought one not long after that though, for the house. Um, but so we were just kind of all camping out in that big bedroom and about four days had gone by and I had gone out and caught one of the, uh, the big orange trucks out electric company trucks out front. And they had told us, you know, that they were, repairing all this lines that were down clearing all these trees and all and it would probably take them about another week before they could charge that line uh for that that grid and bring it back up to make sure everything was you know good to go and then we would have power mm -hmm. i was like okay so i went back in and i said girls um i'm gonna go down the hallway and get some blankets out of the hallway closet 
And so I went down there to go get some more blankets and a couple of Afghans. And when I was coming back, I had two big arms full of stuff and I'm coming down the hallway and something caught my eyes. I passed my daughter's room. And as I kept, I took maybe two or three steps past her door. And I was like, that was in a digital clock. So I backed up and I leaned in and I looked and there was a digital clock flashing 12. And so I was like, oh, that's just, you know, the batteries, backup batteries. So I took two more steps and I stopped and I'm like, wait, it wouldn't be flashing if that was backup batteries in that clock. It would have the time. So I, I dropped everything and I ran around in her, into her room and around her bed to that nightstand. And I'm sitting there looking at it and it's flashing. And I'm like, that, that could not be power. So I reached over and I unplugged it from the wall. And it went off. And I was like, we got power back. We got power back. So I'm running down the hallway telling them, you know, we got power. And I'm thinking, God, I get these kids out of my room. Get back. <laughs> and so we started flipping light switches and shit and nothing came on. And long story short of it, that one receptacle in that entire house, and this was in the old part of the house. It was the one bedroom from that old part of that house um, had power to it. <laughs> I went and flagged down the electrical guys and told them about it. And they said, we'll be down there because that's impossible. This entire grid is disconnected. Nobody has power. <laughs> and so like four trucks showed up in front of my house because I lived on the corner of like a main street and a, and a neighborhood side street. And they were all stacked up in my front and they were coming. The thing of it is, was we were, they wanted to dig. They wanted to dig under the house and find where that, that cable went because they could not figure out how that receptacle was working. I had, man, I had extension cord, hot plates. We were living hard. <laughs> Like we were living it up, had big pots of soup and food. You know what I mean? We had electric heaters. That that sucker was running hot. That receptacle was running hot. We had to be careful, but they could not answer. See, yeah. I didn't know the house, and the guy who did lived in LA, and they had to get permission from him to dig up the place, and he didn't want them digging it unless he was there. Right. And so I don't know later after we left, if he ever came back and, you know, and they did it or what, but all of those guys to see the looks on their faces on these, on these big electric burly electric company, hard hat wearing dudes, you know, that do this stuff. They couldn't tell us how that one receptacle worked out of all of them in that house and that whole entire, uh, section of that grid that was shut clean off. Well, re regardless, I'm not having tea with Definitely. you. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that's sure crazy. That there was another event where my son came home from hockey practice early and we weren't home yet. And he swore I was in the house because he heard me in there, he said. Oh. And he thought I was messing with him. And then I came pulling up about 20 minutes after he got there and he was freaking out. Like he was just, he was like, someone's in our house, dad, someone's in our house, you know, and I had to go in and clear the house with a gun again. And there wasn't anyone in there except, you know, our, our dog Cheyenne, there wasn't anything broke, anything missing, nothing tore up, nothing, but he heard 
somebody in there walking and noise going on like somebody was in there doing something and was convinced of it but that house was for sure haunted i saw a ghost with my own two eyes in the dark it was it it was like a like a silver lining around him as he went out of you know the door jam on the right he came out from behind it and he went right through a wall that i could see through the door went right through it you'd love grizzly's place he's got haunted dolls you should tell him tell him about the haunted dolls uh, I love them. dolls <laughs> dolls d-o-l-l-s yes uh, they yeah. they yeah. jump off my studio desk while during my lives and commit suicide yes they they do move yes mm. they blink on camera yes and then and eyes do not blink but you so, know yes. like to have something grab a hold of you like mike was talking about yeah you know that that right there that would never that's never going to leave you mm -hmm. no absolutely not that i mean that stuck with me forever you know it, again it was my first real significant paranormal experience and kind of set me up for everything that i'm doing now so mm -hmm. and, and i will say because a lot of people will ask me what did it feel like did it feel electric it feel cold and actually it just felt like anybody else touching me which is another reason why at first i thought it was mm. you know a, a real person that was in the house because wow. it, it felt like just anybody else touching me mm. Oh my gosh. I, I yeah, that, that would question. be enough to change my underwear moment. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for Mike. You go to Egypt quite a bit. Yeah. Can you tell everybody what you do there? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a fantastic tour that we have. We explore uh, the pyramids, all the different temples. We have like a four day Nile cruise where we're going up and down the Nile and you know, we're getting dropped off and, and check out a bunch of the temples. So our, uh, our tour group, uh, our, our guide is Mohammed Ibrahim and he's, he's an Egyptologist. He's native there to Egypt, been doing the tours for over 20 years, absolutely phenomenal guy. And, um, he will get a special access to a lot of different places. And one of the things that we do that's pretty special is our group, just us will get the Great Pyramid of Giza, two hours, the whole thing opened up to us. So like publicly, if you were to go there during the day, get your public ticket, you'd basically walk up through the Grand Gallery to the King's Chamber and then back down. You know, mm. we get we get the Queen's Chamber, we get the subterranean chamber, we, we get the whole gamut, two hours, wow. just us, which is really, really awesome. So um, yeah, yeah, it, it's just a really amazing, magical time, you know, going in and exploring these places, getting the the firsthand knowledge. Um, yeah, I the the first time you go there, like for me, it was just I was so awestruck, you know, trying to take it all in. And you know, those buildings are just they're massive. You know, you walk in and you're like, how in the world did these ancient people put this stuff together? You know, it's right. just mind boggling. Yeah. And so the second time around, I was like, okay, I can kind of, you know, take it in a little bit more now. Cause it was just, like I said, completely awestruck that first time around. Have I've you ever, been. when you went into the pyramid, did you, uh, did you see Wu Tang in the 23 chambers? Were you able to see that? <laughs> no, you know, people do have reported seeing interesting <laughs> things in the great pyramid. 
a little hip hop. Yeah, yeah, a little hip hop there. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just I love following Mike's nuts. <laughs> Mike's social media when he goes over there and does that. Uh, I love following his pictures and everything. Man. Oh yeah, it's just that would be photo that, download, that, photo download. Yeah, I did good until Ray start laughing. <laughs> when he start laughing, I lost it. It took me a second. Go. I was laughing at myself because I shouldn't have looked at you. Everything was fine, though. I looked at you. I'm sorry, Mike. No, you're that good. Was venting. Hey, well, I, how what do you here for? How do you? That's right. How do you get that gig where you go over to Egypt every year? Yeah. So, well, the way it happened for me is um, I I went on a, a tour with um, my my buddy Johnny Enoch was running one with uh, Mohammed there, and um, he's so, a good guy. Yeah. yeah, Johnny's great. And so, you know, just getting to know Mohammed a little bit, we were uh, we're on a flight from Cairo down to to Aswan. It's it's easier just we spent some time around the Cairo area doing those pyramids and and things like that up there. Go down to Aswan. It's a, it's five hundred miles, so you just fly. And we're on the plane sitting next to each other, and we're just really just talking shop. You know, we're, we're talking um, ancient technology, and you know how you know they may have built some of these things, how some of the you know, way that they built things and cut things are just unexplained. Mm -hmm. uh, we're talking stargates, all of that stuff, and you know, and Mohammed was just like. I want to do some tours with you. So, okay, sure. Let's do it. Let's set it up. And that's where it started. That, can you tell us a little bit about Stargates? I find it very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Stargates, this is basically uh, a gateway or a portal to, it could be a number of different things. It could be to another place in the cosmos, could be to some other place on earth. Uh, some of these could be to a, another dimension. Uh, so in Egypt, it, there are different stargates uh, around the world. You, know, you have some in like South America, you have some in Sri Lanka. The, the Egyptian ones, um, really interesting because they're, they're labeled stargate. Um, you see the, the hieroglyphs right there that basically spell it out. Wow. And um, yeah. And so uh, again, we, we speculate, you know, what exactly they went to. Uh, but we have some ideas about how they were used because along with these stargates, we see the uh, the hieroglyphs and the friezes depicting the uh, the white cakes of uh, what we believe is monatomic white gold that they would ingest before walking into some of these stargates. So it calls it calls into mind. Okay, so is it entering into? Are they you know getting into a hallucinogenic state like ayahuasca, that sort of thing, to be able to see some things? Or is it helping them to move to another dimension? Because a lot of tests that have been done on uh, monatomic white gold, when you heat it up, it turns invisible and you don't know where it goes. Like, oh. you know, it's it's not even physically there, right? Because um, we can make things you know, kind of uh, you know, turn into an invisible state when we melt it, you know, just take a you know block of ice and you melt it and it turns into clear water, right? But you still you know kind of see the water. Um, that's not the case with this. It is just completely gone, you know, and then you cool it back down. If it's 
there, you know, completely unaltered. Where did it go? Um, so it could, you know, could be passing into some other dimension. So, um, so yeah, you see these all over the place there in Egypt. And there is a, I'll say it's a story, um, because it's, there's a place in Egypt called uh, Egypt's Area 51. And it's right next to the uh, the Red Pyramid, the Bent Pyramid. The area is called Dasher, but it's a Egyptian military complex that's over there. And there are stories that have come out of there that say that they actually have a working stargate. And this one's a little bit different than when we go to some of the temples and we see these giant doorways labeled with stargate and you, you walk through. Um, this is supposed to be circular in nature on the ground. And it's described as being very colorful, almost like an aurora borealis that's on the ground. And apparently oh. you step into this thing. So not sure really where it goes though. That's amazing. I yeah. had no idea, honestly. Man, I love listening to your shows, Mike. You know, thanks for syndicating with us because sure. every week, y'all, we get to we get to go down this this amazing. Well, first of all, his intro music just it sets you, you know, just like you have Grizzly, a great intro for this program. That sets the stage. He's got it, man. It's like this big music just bam, it just hits you. Yeah, that's uh so the artist for that, I'm gonna give a shout out here. The artist for that is Rio Yudasato. She and her husband are of the band Fire Sphere. So check them out. Well, but let me tell you, it it the it's it's music. It's just it's total music, right? And it's you can you can just imagine like a vast desert and 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 and, and the places where he goes. It it is just like Egypt, like Cairo, like big pyramids and chambers and big galleries and and these big megalithic structures and stuff it just reeks of that when you when you hear it and then he comes in man and he starts with his show and it's like taking a course it's a class in, in how i bill it yeah <laughs> interactive class it is and and i just really appreciate the work that he does so mike thank, thank you. you for for uh everything you do because real alternative uh subject matter out here wouldn't be the same without you in it well i really appreciate that race and and i i appreciate you having me on the onyx network it's been a fantastic uh experience there on your network and you know just you know keep doing what you're doing because it's growing and it's getting big it's it's fantastic to see so thank you yeah absolutely i appreciate you because i've always wanted to go to egypt Come along. i want to go yeah, i can I get to sort of do a, you know, live through, get to go there vicariously yeah. through him. And, and that's why I'm so thankful that he shares all these amazing photographs and stuff. You know, mm -hmm. there are drill marks and there are things that are obviously made oh, yeah. mechanics and machine work of some kind. And mm -hmm. I just don't understand how come. It, oh, it, it's, it's insane. It, it's insane because you go into, and it's so blatant. So you, just go to the Egyptian museum in Cairo. There's this sarcophagus that they have, and it's, a, it's among all these other sarcophagi. It It's on its side, kind of pushed into uh, the, the, the one back area. And when you take a look at this thing, now, according to traditional uh, Egyptologists, 
Egyptians did not have circular saws. Okay. So you take a look at the backside of this, and basically what you see is this cut that's going down the backside of it. It's broken off. They stopped cutting it in the middle because some, something, it appears that the whole thing broke off. Um, but what we're seeing is that they were cutting the lid of the sarcophagus off the back side of it. And so then they uh, you know, put it on top to retain the, the same energy. But when you look down the, re the remnants of this slit that's back there, and this is granite, this is solid granite, take a flashlight and you can see top and bottom the circular marks. So one on top, one on the bottom. So they're you know, you know, going down the whole backside of it. And it's blatant. So send some of these photos to my dad. My dad knows nothing about ancient Egypt or, or anything like that. Um, he's 40 years as a machinist. He was tool and die maker by trade. He's the guy that made the machines sure. that made the parts. And so um, I'm showing him this stuff. And I'm like, so dad, what's, you know, what's going to cut that? And he's like, well, you know, obviously some sort of circular saw. He's like, that's granite, right? Like, yeah. He's like, yeah, you need a diamond tip blade for that. Wet saw. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Oh and this is stuff that, you know, the archaeologists and traditional Egyptologists say that the, that the ancient Egyptians didn't have and it's right there. Plain yeah. as day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You go to the, the Valley temple there, right, right by the Sphinx. And there's pieces of the uh, basically the lintel that was around the the temple that's fallen to the ground. It's in pieces, and it's it's like a giant, huge, you know, like as big as this table piece of crown molding, solid granite, and the the radii on the curves are absolutely perfect, pristine. Like I could be in my downstairs on my dad's wood shop with his router you know making the crown molding and you know they, they were not supposed to have had machines like that back at that time but you're, you're seeing that they did mm -hmm. yeah. do you guys think yes do you guys think that aliens helped them or the anunnaki people like to say what do you guys think about that well i'll say this uh because i'll get asked that being on ancient aliens and all that um you know, I don't think the aliens came down and built it. I, I don't think that. Um, were there other beings, Anunnaki, interdimensional beings, some other higher intelligence that came down, shared some knowledge with them? Nephilim. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that they could get the knowledge to build those things. That is possible. I mean, we we see some you know accounts of them with. Uh, what we call the gods and the goddesses, they called them netters, uh, where they were passing down that knowledge like Thoth um, and, and some of those different uh, entities. But you even see the same thing in like uh, the, the American Southwest, Chaco Canyon. You see the petroglyphs of the star people coming down using portals to give information and knowledge to the people of the land and sharing technology with them. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a tale that we see throughout world history. It reminds me of the Matrix. I hate to reference it, <laughs> but the the like the ending of the Matrix, how it talks about this has all happened, you know, six times before, mm -hmm. and and everything just kind of resets and starts it's all cycle. over. Yeah, 
you know, mm-hmm. what if that was a civilization, you know, sort of at the peak of its time, far beyond 5,000 years ago? Oh, yeah. And is some of the remnants of the work they were doing. And the Egyptians just sort of built their societies around all of it that was already there. Well, and that's what a lot of the Egyptians claim is that, no, the the pyramids were already here. Uh, Some of these temples, like the original structure of the Valley Temple or the Osirion and some of these others uh, that don't have the hieroglyphs on them, that, you know, these were structures that they found and they repurposed. There's, uh, they have ostrich eggs there in the Nubian Museum that are over uh, 6,000 years old that actually show the pyramids on there. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, it was supposed to be like 4,000 and boom, there it is, you know, on these uh, older. That's the eggs. thing yeah. for me is that I don't want to take anything from human beings because when we, you know, when we set our minds to something, we're pretty sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to take anything away from humanity, but if you're so smart that you can cut and quarry rocks from hundreds of miles away and move them that far and construct something like the great pyramid. It looks to me like you would know how to write down how you built it. That would last (laughs) as long as the damn pyramid itself. Yeah. You know, there's so many writings about so much stuff that has been translated and, and uh, recorded, but none of that on how they built them. Correct. And that is the green light to say, we don't know. It's okay to say, we don't know how they were built and they didn't do it. Yeah. And you see, we acknowledge, you know, even uh, mainstream archaeology acknowledges that, you know, a lot of the kings would you know, put their stamp on there. Like Ramses II was notorious for it, where he just went around the stuff that was already carved that predated him and they were putting his cartouche on all of it. He was just laying claim to everything. So, uh, so we're going to see that with, with other Kings as well. He wasn't the only one. Um, You know, we look at the, the bent pyramid and that was, it's, we attribute it to uh, Sneferu, but the name Sneferu means the restorer. So (laughs) it's telling us right there. Those crafty pyramids are my interpretation of them old brick, you know, that are all falling apart and crappy looking are the ones that we tried to build to to replicate. Yeah. And and see, that's the thing. There are are, those little smaller pyramids that are, you know, kind of made of just, you know, smaller stones or mud brick and that sort of thing. You look at something like the bent pyramid, this was a massive structure. And they're trying to say, well, this thing was a mistake. You go inside and you're seeing all these fantastic corbelled structures throughout. And Mike is that looking at has that long tunnel you have to shimmy down into. Oh yeah. That one's crazy. That, you, that's that's that a workout. That is, that it's is. a workout. It, it's harder than the great pyramid because the angle is steeper. Yeah. Oh, I, I, um, I freak but, out. Yeah, but it's like a harmonic resonance chamber. You, know, you, you can tell you can tell it was some sort of acoustic device. Jimmy Church thought he was going to die before he got out of it. <laughs> he, he went down oh, it, Jimmy, and, and yeah. somehow they let a whole bunch more people get down there, come mm-hmm. down there, and there's only so much room in that chamber. Yeah, and they were running out of air in there. Yeah, it can get it can get pretty stuffy. Yeah, 
And so he started back out and he got, you know, probably, I think he, I think he said he was like a hundred feet from the outside mm. and he couldn't, he ran out of gas. He just couldn't keep going. Yeah. He just gave up. And then somebody came up along behind him, kind of shook him too, man, and got him to get up and go. <laughs> they couldn't get around him or something. I don't know. But I mean that I would have, I'm, I, I don't, I have a terrible fear of being trapped. Me too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like not just like being saran wrapped. <laughs> you, can't, you can't move an arm or a finger or, you know, cause I've what that, that's kind of like my nightmare dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is where you just, you're suffocating and you can't move. Yeah. The, the bent pyramid is the toughest and it's, it's crazy. Cause again, you know, traditionalists try to say this was a burial chamber. Well, Okay, to try to get a sarcophagus in this, you know, there's no sarcophagus there, right? None. But to get one in there, now you have to go, you know, take it down that long, narrow shaft that we were already talking about. It's very, very steep, difficult. And then you end up, now we put in some stairs, right? You get to the bottom of this thing, and we put in some stairs to get up to this other level, okay? When you're on that other level, it's this really, really tall shaft that that goes up, what, 50, 60 feet, something like that. Um, we've also, again, put in scaffolding, another set of stairs to get up to this really, really sh- uh, narrow shaft that you kind of have to snake your way through. And you're kind of crawling on all fours to get through it. It's like, okay, so you'd have to send the sarcophagus down hoist it up this shaft and then somehow shove it through this little, you know, thing that you have to crawl through. And you finally get to a little bit of a uh, uh, taller shaft where, you know, you can just kind of bend over and get through it before you get to like the center area. But it's like, there's no way you're dragging a sarcophagus through all of this crap. No, it's just not happening. What do you think it is or what could it be? Yeah. So I, I said, you know, harmonic resonance chamber, you know, I think it was some sort of sound device. Now, what exactly were they using that for? Uh, Mohammed Ibrahim, uh, who we do the uh, tours with, uh, he believes it was some sort of microwave device. Um, but basically, you know, talking about like harnessing energy and repurposing that energy for, for different reasons, for different means. Um, and then the question is, what were they using that energy for? You have some people believing that they're, you know, had electricity and all that. And it's like, eh, I don't know about them having electricity as we use it today. Um, but I think what they were doing, because everything uh, with, with Egypt had to do with the Nile inundation season. You know, they they had to really be careful about um, you know, about their food. You, you have this country there. You take the country of Egypt today, and you can only live on like 7% of the land because there's so much desert. You're just there by the Nile. And every year, the inundation season, you know, the, uh, the water and the rich black soil would sweep down the river and then they would plant their crops in it and, and grow everything so they can have food to live. So that was very, very important to them. So I think the energy that we're talking about here is a type of energy to uh, you know, help create a better harvest, something that would energize the land, energize the crops so they have a more 
bountiful harvest. So they would have uh, that food through the seasons in, in which they, you know, they weren't growing. Oh, that's interesting. So, and there's a lot of different ideas about, you know, like the, the obelisks, since they're, you know, completely made, made of granite, uh, you know, which is a coarse content that's 55 to 60% that they were, those were uh, almost like repeaters that can help spread that energy from one location to another. And that's an interesting idea too. I, you know, I have all these ideas, but I've never been there. So <laughs> I can't weigh in, but I just, it, it just baffles me. Mm -hmm. the magnificence and the you know how megalithic everything is it's like god it almost makes you think giants had to have walked the earth <laughs> i think they did. who says they didn't you guys think they did Vinny? do you think giants walked the earth yeah we're playing them next uh sunday night <laughs> in the meadowlands <laughs> well they found skeletons i believe Oh, yeah, what's interesting about because uh, there's so many news articles uh, you look throughout history of you know found these giant remains, etc., and they were all confiscated, never to be seen again. I yeah, yeah. I heard that. Man, I read that. A, a man, I I just wonder what else is under all that sand. There's a lot of sand out there. There really is. Yeah, yeah. And they keep digging up more stuff, so yeah. it moves. You know, it, it's constantly shifting and moving. Yeah, I, I I dig those pictures of of the pyramids and of the Sphinx and stuff when they were half under sand, almost all covered up. Oh yeah, no, I, those are really interesting because there's been a lot of repair work on the Sphinx, um, it's especially the early 20th century. Because yeah, you look at those those old photos and you know a lot of the headdress is gone so what we see today uh, a lot of it has has been repaired they filled in the hole that was in the head um, mm. you look at some you know, newspaper articles from a hundred years ago and you know those explorers were showing like a shaft uh, that went down from the head into the sphinx and then yeah, the chambers top. that are under the sphinx yeah 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 I have yeah. a conspiracy question about the pyramids really quick okay. to, to everybody. Um, I've heard that there are tunnels that go deep into earth that are under certain pyramids. Have you guys heard about that? Oh, there's all kinds of tunnels under there. Yeah. Yeah. That whole Giza plateau is littered like with middle tunnels earth. over the place. Oh, <laughs> like all the way down to, <laughs> well, Oh, this is what I'll say about, about that there are there are places like that around the globe because there are a lot of natural features um throughout the earth's crust and you know, reaching down into the mantle because you have a lot of those you know ancient volcanoes that have since gone extinct so you have lava tubes and magma chambers and things like that that are completely devoid right now mm -hmm. of of the lava so yeah there's a lot of those giant places down there that if you hit one you could really get into some depths of the earth for sure well, that's interesting. I like conspiracies. Sorry. So. <laughs> now, the bigger right. conspiracies are: Do we have tunnels that are um, that the military has made throughout our country that are reaching to other places in the globe? Those would be some hella long tunnels. <laughs> oh yeah. 
it's well, honeycombed I, under us. Yeah. Admiral Byrd said that he flew. Did, did he say he flew to Middle Earth? I think so. I think that's yeah. what he said in an yeah. interview. That was that's that's always interested me and what's over the ice wall and I I believe him honestly. He seemed honest from the interview. I mean, I've never met him, but <laughs> there's more space down there than there is up here, probably. Right. That yeah. Earth is deep. Yeah. yeah. Well, they have found evidence of you know under underwater oceans that are you know bigger than the Pacific mm -hmm. or un underground oceans that think are bigger. About, than think yeah. about the caverns that are going to be left behind from all the oil that's been vacuumed out of there. Yeah. All the fluid that we pull out from down there, <laughs> it's going to leave some big space down there. Oh, yeah. You know, they're, I, I, you know, I've done this UFO thing for over 30 years and it, I feel like that's where they are. I mm -hmm. feel like they've been down there for a long time and that's where they reside. I think that's, I think that, 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 that they, they're from here. They come and go out of our oceans. They yep. can go in space and come back. I think they're from here. Yeah, there's right. a lot of and certainly a lot of evidence for for USOs and um, you know underwater bases or you know even deeper. And you even look at like some of the old legends in in lore, um, the American Southwest there, uh, Montezuma's well, and yeah. it, it's a really really cool place. I mean, it just looks like a, a pond, you know, that's at the bottom of this big hole, right? It's a pretty large area, um, and there's like only there's only five things that can live in this. And they're indigenous to that lake because um, of it's just so um, acidic. And yeah. it's because of whatever in the world is down there at the bottom of this hole. And they don't have no idea how deep it goes. You can't dive it. Uh, any type of probe that they've tried to stick down there pushes it back, back up. Hmm. Uh, but the, the legends of the area um, from the indigenous tribes there is that um, – Thousands of years ago, during the Great Cataclysm, this was an open hole. Um, and it was an interest to uh, another place uh, within the Earth. And this is where the, the ant people lived. And when the Great Cataclysm happened, the ant people helped the humans hid them down under there to keep them safe until you know everything subsided and was fine again for them to come back up out of the Earth and repopulate the land. So... Who are these ant people that lived underground? All right. All right. Good dope. <laughs> I have a question for everybody starting with race. Yeah. 1955. Eisenhower. Did he meet with the aliens in the hangar? I wouldn't put it past him. I, I don't know that it was in a hangar. I heard it was uh, out on a runway, really. Um, and that he actually went up into their ship. But there, there is, there is a lot of evidence, including video of a UFO landing on that field in that airstrip. And, um, there was a, a dude, Emmenegger, man, he's from right here. He's lived right up here in Northwest mm -hmm. Arkansas. And I interviewed him probably 25 years ago that worked on a film that had, clearance from the cia to do and they were going to get the footage of the ufo actually coming down and landing on the on the strip on the field uh 
the airfield. Um, and they wound up only getting a small portion of it, um, in the end, but he was, he was very adamant that it happened. And because, uh, the president had disappeared for a short amount of time from the, from the, uh, national press, you know, the two, and he was there. It just seemed to be coincidental until this story came out that he actually met with him. And, um, but you know, I, my whole thing is, is the only thing I can tell all of you in all of my research. And I was an investigator and a researcher for all this time. Not, I wasn't a, an investigator the whole time, but, uh, certainly for 20 years of it. The only thing I can tell you is that physical objects are coming and going from our oceans and atmospheres and they go anywhere they want with impunity. And, um, they, you know, they interact in ways that we really don't want them to, and we can't do anything to stop it. And we can detect them with the equipment that we've designed and built. And we have admissible evidence that this is so. But who they are, where they're from, and what they're up to, I can't answer any one of those three questions. But I've always maintained that UFOs are something that we haven't had anything to do with. And that they are here. We have admissible evidence. When you have radar confirmation from the ground and from the air on an object in three-dimensional space and visual testimony from the ground and from air, mm -hmm. that, that you could send someone to the electric chair for less, with less. And, and so the next question to me is, is why are they hiding from us? Right. Why are they, you know, and it's all this, and this is where, and I'm sorry, forgive me for saying it, but this woo comes in and, oh, they're here to help. They ain't helping shit. <laughs> this world is a disaster mm. because most people don't even know they're here. So that that's not the reason why everything's going bad. You know, if they're here to help us, they're doing a piss poor job of it. <laughs> you know, you don't hide and help people. You hide and deceive people. It's, it, you can't, don't fool yourself. Somebody hiding from you is not here to tickle your fancy. They're not here to you know, to pave the road for you. They're, they're, they're being deceptive and I don't have, uh, I just don't have any faith or any belief that these things are here for anything good when it comes to us. Mm -hmm. But then people say, you know, well, if they've got all this advanced technology, how come they haven't wiped us out a long time ago? Well, just because you can build a Ferrari that outruns everything you've ever had doesn't mean that you could build an atomic bomb. 
just because you can build a little craft that's going to zip you around from here to there doesn't mean that you, you know, have intentions on wiping people out either. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there's so few of them that they're afraid to, to, to show themselves to us because we'll, we'll, you know, we'll whack them out. But, well, I also look at it at this race. If they're so far advanced than us, then why even bother? It would be like us going around and wiping out all the ants or something like that. Are we going to do that? We could if we really wanted to, but are we going well, to? If, if that's no. the case, then nothing that we've seen, these grays that people say they've seen, um, none of that is true biological. These things are probably clones that have traveled through dimensions or great distances, mm -hmm. you know, to go observe places and, and, and things like that or something, or, you know, research or whatever it is. But, you know, when you sit face to face with a, a Stella and a cigar from a, a, a retired Naval submarine commander, one that's spent 19, 18, 19 years under the ocean. And they tell you that they tracked with the most highly sophisticated radar on earth because submarines, they have more technology in one inch of that thing than they had in the entire space shuttle. Um, those, those machines are among the most sophisticated machines we have ever constructed weapons that we've ever constructed. And when, when you got a guy that's been in charge of those and he tells you that they track objects moving under the water at over a hundred knots, mm -hmm. you know, or, or, and higher that just buzz by them and just keep right on going. Like they're not even there. And it's a hundred percent locked target on a physical object under the water. They're, they're all just dumbfounded. They send the information upstairs and they never hear about it again. If the thing's not attacking them and it's not a threat, then they don't worry about it. But I mean, there are objects moving under the water down there and at speeds that, that we can't, even begin to fathom and it and it it makes sense because underwater is just the same as the vacuum of space mm -hmm. if you've got one that can exist underwater you've got one that could exist in space if we could get an ohio class submarine into space that thing could fly around wherever it wanted up there just fine <laughs> because it it can handle that pressure but Whatever these things are, if Bob Lazar, the, the, the dude who, who you can see a piece of that deal right there. Um, let me see if I can. <laughs> <laughs> he sketched if he tell if he's telling the truth about what he saw and what he worked on, man. That just it that that gets me real giddy. In a hurry. <laughs> because if we can live long enough not to whack ourselves off over some stupid crap mm -hmm. and just everybody get along man and get on the same page then we could get there 
I would love for my grandkids or my great grandkids to be able to get on like, like going on to a ride at the fair and they get into a machine and they tear out and they can go around Jupiter, take a trip around Saturn and see it with their own eyes. Not necessarily, you know, colonize the moons or, you know, live on other planets yet, but at least get to fly out there and go see the solar system, the home, the neighborhood of our great planet, this, this oasis we're on, this beautiful thing we're on, um, and how, you know, that you hear about astronauts that have gone out, you know, um, way out in space towards the moon and look back at the earth and how insignificant they feel and how, you know, all the politics and all of the crap that we put up with and put on with, it just melts away and becomes insignificant. Uh, I think if people could do that on mass, all of our problems might be solved and we got them. But when it comes to this alien stuff, I'm just hooked on the idea that um, they've already been here. That's how I feel. Oh yeah. My wife is one of those ones that's all biblical about it. <laughs> you know, she thinks they're they're fallen angels. She thinks that they're, you know, that they've been here since before Noah. The Nephilim? Is that what she yeah. Some people do. Yeah, they think. Vinny, what's your take? But you know. Most of the information we get comes from disinformation agents and information and intelligence agents from the military. And for all of these people and paranormal stuff that we do, they don't trust the government for nothing. Mm-hmm. But they're all standing around waiting on them to tell them that this shit's real. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's like a paradox. I don't, I'm like, I'm getting ready to go to an event here coming up, you know. And on uh, the 30th through November 1st, and I'm going to be around a whole bunch of these people again. And every time I do these events and all, and all these people come up and want to talk about this stuff, I have to be real careful. Like Mike, you do them too. Like, Oh yeah. You have to be real careful in how you handle them. Cause some of these people, you can, you can break their dreams, man, with just what you think is the way things are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the last thing I want to do, but. No, I just like to have a, a nice back and forth discussion with people. The shorter, <laughs> the shorter my patients get, you know. Okay, Benny, go ahead. With what? I've got a question for uh, <laughs> Professor Bauer. Is he still here? Professor? Bauer. Professor, what is another name for pirate treasure? And if you answer for five in five minutes, I'll give you a prize. <laughs> Booty. <laughs> exactly. You gave it away. Oh, I thought you were asking me. You cut out. I thought you were asking me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was asking Professor Bauer. I'm sorry, Vinny. There was the professor. We had a professor. It looked like Santa Claus in the chat. I was trying to get him involved. Oh, I can't see the chat. So, Mike, what do you think about the fifty-five incident? His granddaughter came forward and said it actually happened. It was real and testified about it. 
Uh, why not? It's <laughs> <laughs> my expert take on it. Why not? Um, yeah, you know, any of those, I mean, we weren't there, right? So you have one person's word against another and you, you try to look at the, the evidence behind it and put all the pieces together. I think a lot of times it just comes down to which side do you believe, right? So, um, you know, I, I have an open mind about it. I believe it was you know, certainly possible to have happened. Again, I wasn't there. Um, but, you know, I believe that... You know, I believe that we have a, a mixture of uh, of different things that we're dealing with here. You know, are some of these you know, physical craft that have landed here with actual beings from other planets and things like that? I think some of them are, but I also think some of them are actually interdimensional beings that we're dealing with some other from some other plane of existence. That um, you know, you know, we, I think we tend to forget. Okay, you know, theoretical physics says that we have up to eleven dimensions. Okay. Great. Awesome. But I think we failed to realize it's probably a lot of other beings and entities and things like that living within these other dimensions. So, you know, sometimes they maybe they bleed through, maybe they intentionally uh, journey here you know, to maybe the watch, observe. We don't know their intentions, really. Uh, but a lot of people will, you know, like the abductive phenomenon, you know, they have that time loss aspect to it, you know, why is that? Well, if you're talking about a being from another dimension, it doesn't necessarily even have to be, you know, ET extraterrestrial. You look back into history and we see the same thing happening, happening with like, you know, fairy lore where somebody ended up in, you know, the, the fairy realm. Well, it, it sounds like another dimension to me where there was an ET abduction, a fairy abduction, whatever it was. And you go off to this other place, the mothership, the, you know, the, the, very realm, whatever it was. And when they come back, time had worked differently where they thought they were gone for five minutes and it's been like, you know, a day, five days, whatever it was, several hours, you know, it, it worked very, very differently. Well, we talked time earlier. If you're in one of those other dimensions, fifth, sixth, seventh, time doesn't work out there like it does here. So it makes sense. You would have that sort of time loss. So I think it's a mixture of different things that we're dealing with here. Interesting. I agree. Yeah, I, I will say that I do think uh, we get rooked into thinking about this alien thing like human beings. We we know very little about them. So I do think what I was going to say seriously is what Mike says. I'm a big proponent that time is a man-made concept. So when people say, what are these aliens doing here for 70 years or however long it's been since we've known about them, maybe... It, it could, it, to them, they could be traveling back and forth and it feels like five minutes. It's the same thing, I think, with ghosts. Ghosts kind of come and go on their own uh, time. And uh, we can't sit there and think, hey, I wonder why the ghost isn't haunting us for the last two years. Well, it may just be a blink of an eye for that creature or whatever entity. I think the same thing, if aliens are real, um, I, I do think that uh, we... Uh, can't put them, you know, we can't basically um, put a human body on those things. We can't put a human rationale. We uh, To think like an alien, what does that mean? To try to decide why are they here, to try to decide what their motive is. They they may be just watching us 
uh, about to blow ourselves the kingdom come and uh, harvest the planet for resources. Or we may be like an intergalactic zoo and you just drive to Earth and watch all these crazy people uh, do all this crazy stuff and we and, and they laugh at us or whatever. Or they may come up with a cookbook called To Serve Man. And when, oh, God. when we're fat enough and, and, uh, and juicy enough, they'll just start shipping us off. Boom. To uh, the intergalactic McDonald's, so I'm in trouble. Yeah, I always wanted to be a All Big right. Mac. All right, uh, start starting with Vinny, then Mike, then Rake. Now, since '55, do you contribute? If that allegedly did happen, do you contribute with this with our technology? You mean the advancement of technology? Yes, I do not. I think um, there there could be a conflation. I mean, it was pretty wild what the Nazis were doing, right, and during World War II. They had a lot of advancements back in the 40s that seemed uh, inspired, eh? Like, there was a lot of stuff. A lot of people have had a lot of fun trying to say that they got a hold of alien technology, and that's why they, they came up with a lot of concepts and stuff. But... We were pretty advanced in the 40s. I mean, we came up with how to make an atomic bomb, and, and Race even said that he believes that maybe even it's possible the aliens don't even know. Uh, but, you know, if they came like in the 1890s and then everything just jumped up, then, yeah, I think that, that would be plausible. But, um, you know, and again, I have no idea. But that's just a, a pull-out-of-my-ear answer for that question. But I, I do think... Uh, we're, we've been on a national, a natural arc with technology, but, uh, because I mean, we still don't have space cars, right? I mean, we're trying to, uh, there's a damn Uber, uh, pizza delivery service and it keeps running over people's feet <laughs> and stuff. So, I mean, we're not quite there yet. Mike, what's your take? Yeah. Um, I mean, let's not discredit human ingenuity. We've come up with some really interesting things and, you know, um, rocketry since we're kind of around that era um you know the concepts for rocketry were actually developed in the late 1800s you know we didn't have the technology to make it yet but the concepts were there the math was was done and they ended up using that math when they were actually able to build these things and send them up into space uh you also look at you know guys like tesla you know, these visionaries you know he actually uh, invented what we could call our first drone in the 1890s and it called a tele they called it a teletomaton uh, and basically it was a remote controlled device a little boat that he had developed for the spanish american war now his his idea for this was you know to take humans out of wars to, so that the humans wouldn't kill each other that you'd have the machines fight the wars well, it was you know, kind of an idealistic approach because humans still try to kill each other. But uh, but it really was our first drone. And he said, you know, I can also you know, build a telematon of myself that would look and act like me, that would make decisions just like me, that would have conversations like me. Uh, he's talking about artificial intelligence in the 1890s. You know, he's think, but he's not thinking of how the technology would be you know, actually carry it out. He's thinking it's going to be, you know, gears and wheels and radio waves, that sort of thing. And he didn't know about the silicon microchip, which wouldn't be invented until like 16 years after he he died. That's a technology that it took to finally get there. But the ideas and concepts were already in place. It just took, you know, 
time for us to kind of get to that point where we could start to really seriously carry some of these things out. And you look at like Michelangelo and Leonardo, um, you know, Leonardo da Vinci coming up with all the crazy uh, inspired concepts that they had. You know, there's even a rumor. I don't think it's true, but there's even a rumor that the Confederate Army invented uh, the submarine and also the uh, ballistic missile back when they were fighting the Civil War. So, I mean, it was I, I just feel well, they like they did have some submersives in, in the Civil War. They're not like you know our nuclear submarines today, but um but yeah, yeah, they did have some of those ideas in place. Yeah. Yeah. And you're talking about hillbillies down south. I mean, that's uh, we, we, we've come a long way uh, <laughs> from that. But I mean, it, it just seems like what Mike's saying, there was a natural ramp up uh, over the last 500, basically since uh, the Enlightenment. Uh, you know, things have started, uh, you know, it's taken a long time. I mean, you go back to the Bronze Age, that's the first civilization. And they did some neat things and the Sumerians did some great things. And, then, you know, and then it eventually just took a long time to take off. And now I think it's amazing what the technology, I think human ingenuity and boredom. And I think one reason I think technology has slowed down is because we're distracted with entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I think if we're just sitting out there looking at the sun uh, set every night and bored and looking at the stars, we would probably be more inventive as a society. And now it's just left up to a, a select few who are geniuses. Rice. You know, Benny had a good point about wrapping a human experience sort of around like an alien experience. It, it human uh, the element to something that is trying to figure out something that possibly isn't human. That is a challenge on its own and uh you know good friend of mine stanton friedman once said you know just imagine putting uh, a nuclear submarine in the lap of christopher columbus and telling him you know i need three of these by this time next year there's just no way if we the germans the nazis you know anybody had their hands on technology that's thousands, hundreds or thousands of years ahead of us. You, you just can't, you know, you just can't expect to be able to replicate it. Um, Colonel Corso, Philip Corso, you know, he, he was another guy that was in intelligence and then rocketry development and, and a lot of, you know, he had his hands in a lot of military pie. And he first and foremost was an American patriot. And he served, you know, in the world war and, and, uh, all over the world. In fact, Italy and everywhere, and, you know, I don't think he's the kind, I think he's the kind of guy who would be military to this very last breath, but I don't think that he's the kind of guy who is going to leave his kids a legacy that could you know, could scar his family name and, and, and hinder his kids and grandkids by telling us a story of, of, of the caliber of his. And, and in case you don't know what that is, it, he was, he was, he worked in the Pentagon and, uh, he claims to have had, uh, general Trudeau, sent a file cabinet to his office downstairs to his office 
that had uh, a lot of uh, parts from an alien crashed vessel ship, some kind. Um, and one of those things being uh, what turned out to be a laser um, material from uh, a suit that one of them was wearing, which turned out to be the, the ground floor for Kevlar um, tensile strength from, you know, spiders webs all the way up to, you know, everything we have that's bulletproof now glass included. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the jacket tree that they used in fiber optics, we had fiber optics, a kind of fiber optics at the time, but it had to be in a straight line after 47, they started jacketing fiber optics with a specific material that would allow it to be bent around corners. And once that happened, speed of light communication began. Um, night vision. I mean, he, he claimed to have put all of this technology in the hands of independent companies like Rayon and, and GE and, you know, Westinghouse. And he let the private sectors and worked with the private sectors to develop this technology because they weren't susceptible to Freedom of Information Act requests. They provided their own security. The, the military and the government provided the funding and controlled the, 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 uh, the development uh, and the back generation of this stuff uh, in compartmentalization, compartmentalization. So if he, what he was telling was the truth, it makes sense. I think it was before 55, but I think around 55 to 60 is when it all began. Well, a lot of this technology began to take off. See computer chips and stacking chips, silk micro chips and, and all of that. That started to do the thinking for us. And the smaller that all got, the faster everything got. And we went, if you think about 40, let's just say 55, like you're asking in the question, 55 years before that, Mike, when was the Wright brothers? When did they take off at Kitty Hawk? Uh, Just over 100 years ago. Was that 1914, oh, something like that? 1916? 19, what was it, 1901 or two or something like that? Yeah, it was early 1900s. Yeah. So, you know, roughly 50 years before 55, we were just getting off the ground. There were still horse and buggies hauling people everywhere. And 55 years later, look where we were. We were committing treasure, national treasure to send three dudes to the moon and accomplished it in 69. 1969, we were stepping on the moon as a human species. The first time another species ever stepped on a foreign body from this planet that we know of. And, you know, 69 years before that, people were getting around by horses. Well, I think the interesting point there is 
the American spaceships and the Russian spaceships back then and the rockets, didn't it look very human like we made it? I mean, it wasn't like we had... Oh, yeah. It didn't look like it was interstellar technology. Or no. Anything. It looked very to this day, human. Yeah. Still to this day, it seems like archaic, crude mechanics. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about it. It, it it really does. Yeah, you you oh, look yeah you look at some of those capsules and you think about how tight that they were in there as these little you know levers and switches and it's scary to think about. Okay, we we tossed some people into space in these things. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they came back alive, most of them. You know, dude, the the end of that craft where we were versus the size of the bottom of that thing of that Atlas rocket. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you're, you could fit ten yeah. of those capsules inside one nozzle. You know what I mean? Of the bottom of that rocket, and there's five nozzles. Think underneath. of all that rocket fuel. That I mean, imagine laying back in that all and thinking of all that rocket fuel that is behind oh. you. That if one thing goes wrong, right. they had nerve of 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 Gibraltar. Like <laughs> they had they had stones. Those guys. Yeah, but you know, Vinny's right. It is very crude uh, technology, really. When you think about even where we are now, the the SpaceX rockets that are going up, man, they're like they're like Lamborghini rockets compared to the, you know, the the just chest jar and rumble of what they were used in the sixties and early seventies, and even Russia still using that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Russia's still using the same technology that they did back in the 50s and 60s. If it ain't broke, don't so, fix it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's crazy. You look, yeah, you look at their rockets today, and you look at those old photos, and it's like uh, I'm looking at the exact same thing. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Thank and the cats that built those couldn't even catch Bullwinkle. I wonder why they haven't advanced. Is it just the lack of money and they lost the Cold War? Is yeah. that it, yep. they were they okay? Yep. I mean, the Russians were smart, man. They had some smart cats over there. Absolutely. But I mean, that you know, I know one that owns a mountain behind us. Uh, and one day when we talk paranormal jive, which I'm not into aliens or NASA or ancient Egypt, I'm about a, a, a moron when it comes to that stuff. But if we ever talk about ghosts, there's a there's an old Russian-owned mountain behind me. Uh, he's an old engineer that actually worked with in the space race, and uh, there's some crazy paranormal jive happen on that hill. I'll tell you, it'll is some spine tingling stories. Have you ever interviewed him, Vinny? I don't know the man. I just went up there. Um, <laughs> I confronted uh, something evil up there for a friend of mine. And I think I lost the war because I lost her. So, uh, oh my goodness, it was it was a, it was a crazy night up there. But anyway, that's that's another story. But yeah, those cats. He he had enough money to buy a mountain here in Tennessee, and and uh, and uh, it's beautiful. And uh, yeah, wild stuff up there. Russia is full of bizarre stuff. That M triangle. Uh, is is a bizarre place, but you know, I think we all forget just how powerful the earth is. I mean, it is an electro miracle, and I mean, it, it, it really is. Um, 
the energy from the sun shows us the magnetic field and just how it goes out and back in and it flows so much energy flows through this rock and it comes out at ports and places all over the place. And I think that that's what we call the devil's triangle, the, dr dr the, the, the dragon. Yeah. Triangle, the, yeah. The the triangle, Alaska triangle, Bridgewater. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All over the place. Yeah. These and that really has to, that really has to do with the, the earth's magnetism. Um, you know, as she got that spinning iron core, uh, molten iron core. And so as it spins, it creates the, you know, magnetic shield that of course protects us from the sun. That's great. But as it's passing through the earth, it's interacting with different metals and minerals and, you know, kind of basic magnetics, depending on what that field hits, you know, as far as like another metal or, or whatever, it's going to create different electromagnetic fields. And so, you know, whatever there is under the Bermuda Triangle, the Dragon Triangle, these other areas. Um, yeah, that's basically what's creating all these strange anomalies. So what do you know about ley lines? Uh, and basically, it's it's related. So ley lines, I always say this is the the layman's term for what's going on, <laughs> because the the lay is really just the geographic lining up of all of these what we'd call like ancient sites of power. So like stone circles and pyramids and uh, old temples and things like that. Um, it was noticed um, Alfred Watkins like a hundred years ago that hey, all these different locations are lining up. So that's the lay. What's important is what's underneath, and that's the those energy uh, grid lines that the ancient peoples were building these things on because they knew to tap into those locations, harness the power, and all that. And then when they cross, you know, we typically call them, you know, nodes. They're you know called uh, conductivity discontinuities. It's, you know, crazy term. Um, just like the grid lines are called telluric current. So we reduce it down ley lines and nodes and that sort of thing. But that's where uh, you have the more powerful areas. So that's what like the pyramids are built on. And like what kind of power? power? So this is like, um, so earth magnetic power, uh, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, you could, you know, harness that for i mean you could use it for some you know different electrical properties you know we kind of speculate what the ancients use it for do they use it for healing did they use it for ceremonial purposes did they use it to enter alter states of consciousness um you go to some of those different locations like today and people say well you know i feel this energy okay well just go to drum stone circle in ireland it's a smaller circle it only has 13 of the original 17 stones but today would you stand in the middle of that thing and just like talk, you can feel the reverberation coming back on you. And part of that is an, is an acoustic uh, component to it. But just trying to imagine, okay, this is like thousands of years after it was built. You know, think about back in the day when it had all 17 stones that were much bigger, not weathered down, and you're doing that in the middle. Uh, it would just be insane. Could they have built their monuments where they felt spiritual energy instead of something scientific? Like uh, maybe they felt something spiritual there. Well, you know, I, I think in a lot of cases, they we can look at it from a scientific perspective of, okay, there's energy there. It's measurable. We've gone to some of these locations have actually measured the energy there to see it. Now, they're not going to have a magnetometer or anything like that on them. You know, they're going to be feeling it with their body they get to a location oh something's going on here there's also um you know like uh 
dowsing rods that uh, you know they they used back in the day to be able to to find these things. And I know that a lot of skeptics are like, well, you know, that's um, you can't really prove. Well, you know, these my things. father. Yeah, those things. My <laughs> father back in the my father back in the day, he's he's not into yep. any of this stuff. But he's like, there was one time he had to find an old drain in his parents' backyard, and he had heard about you know dowsing rods, so he took two copper coat hangers, you know, unraveled them, walked back there with them, boom, found the drain. And surveyors still use them today to find old pipes in the ground and things mm -hmm. like that. So it's legit. And so, yeah, the ancients would, would use things like that too. I didn't to, to find it. these energy spots. And but my boss gave me some, and I I thought it was me doing it. You know what I mean? Like so. I designed a little apparatus that is going to hold them perfectly still <laughs> where, you know, my hands. Can have right. Right. Yeah. And they yeah. move. Oh yeah. Oh, it's, now, it's legit. So there, but there is a religious component to it because they would, you know, when they feel that energy or they're, you know, getting this interaction, of course, there a lot of them, cause they're very superstitious, superstitious are going to think that this is a you know, religious area, something to do with the gods or something right. of that nature. A lot of times. Yeah. Well, one of the, uh, so I'm a part of a paranormal team. And if our TV show was more famous, the most haunted place <laughs> in the United States would be known as La Follette. And the last time I was on this show, there was a guy, a doctor, he was like crazy Guggleheim. I don't know. He was like, ooh, squeeze the ghost head three times and I'll tell you a secret. Jeez. I don't know. He was just a knucklehead. But I liked the guy. He was very knowledgeable. But as soon as I said La Follette, Tennessee, he said La Follette, Tennessee is on top of three ley lines. They cross, mm -hmm. which is pretty rare. And it and it every building we go into in that place, I mean, crap is flying and we see stuff. I've seen full body apparitions. The you things have stuff moving, Vinny. Dude, yeah. Man, I mean, that's why when she said, Tell me something wacky, I'm like, I can't. There's a hundred stories, it's like, yeah. I don't, but like a lot of it. And I'll tell you this too, uh, not spoiler alert on the show our best evidence is in the follet. When we go other places, there's some funny stuff and there's some interesting stuff, and there's there's places that have been good, but nothing, nothing has been as good as the follet. The follet is wackadoo, man, and there's no reason for that, really, except. There was a lot of tumultuous uh, stories and stuff that happened there. I, I learned after I went, but uh, anyway, I just find that that interesting. So the ley lines were something, and when they crossed, they create a node. And the ancients used to build monuments where these nodes existed, is what you're saying, Mike? Right? Correct. Yeah. Oh wow, that's that's wild. She's wanting to hear the story about this mountain. I I'm thinking about making a movie <clears throat> about this mountain, or, or doing an episode or a documentary or dude that would this, be cool yeah this mountain thing that that this mountain thing let me i'll just we're shifting all sorts of freaking gears here and i apologize for it but so a friend of mine i won't tell you the whole story because it would take probably about an hour however i'll kind of just paint this thing it a friend of mine is an addict she's a heroin addict and she was stating on that mountain that the russian fella owned and when i went up there I was, I'm a skeptic. Okay. I'm an entertainer. That's how I kind of got into all this anyway. And then we started finding all this stuff and we kept getting this evidence and it was like, there's stuff going on here. Okay. So <clears throat> I have had throughout my adult 
whatever life, I have had um, interactions with dark spirits and they don't like me much. And I feel the same. Um, and so she's like, there's something happening to me up on this hill. And this hill is wild. Um, there's only a few houses on this mountain. It takes from the main road, it takes 45 minutes to drive up to the mountain. And everybody who has a house up there has a giant cauldron of bones sitting next to their fireplaces. And she's like, there's no reason for everybody to have bones near a fireplace. And so she knows a bunch of stuff that's like witchcraft and wicked and shit. I don't know nothing about that. And she's like, there's no good reason to burn bones. I'm like, well, maybe they're making a stew. No. So anyway, <laughs> before I get into the spiritual knife fight, and like I told you, I think I lost it. It knew who I was. It knew my name. It knew my story. It knew who my daughter was. All this jive. Um, uh, we're up there, and I'm curious to see if there's any ley lines up there, because it's pretty wild. But I will say this. Um the, the thing that was that was interesting about that particular spot is uh, I've never, ever felt such a tense, um, otherworldly uh, feeling. And so while I was dialoguing with this thing, um, it, I, I've never felt such kind of evil in my life. My daughter was up there because I thought, this was going to be a laugh and we're just, it was a pretty view and nothing was really going to happen. And she now believes in God. It's the only reason she believes in God is because she saw what she saw on that hill that night. But my main point is this, I was up there and normally I use Facebook a lot. I'm on Facebook way too much. I need to get off of it. If somebody can hypnotize me or something, so I get off social media, it'd be great. But I was taking a bunch of pictures up there like, Hey, we're out here tonight in this particular weird spot. Every witch, every Wiccan, everybody I know who's spiritual, people that do tarot cards, Christians, the whole gambit, they all said, whoa, where are you? Now, I've been doing this for, I've been, at that point, I was doing it for about three or four years and all the locations on the earth. And everybody was like, hey, when you're up there, grab Luke's butt or whatever. Nobody was really saying anything, but everybody was like, whoa, that place is evil. It's a spiritual conduit. Um, I'm worried for you. Uh, I see things spiritually in the yard. And these were strangers. I mean, and it was like the one time people were like, you better watch out because tonight's going to be a heavyweight fight. So anyway, I, I um, follow me on Facebook and uh, I promise that story I'm going to tell. And like I said, I think I fell because that lady uh, who was called me for help, she uh, basically went way down the rabbit hole and heroin abuse and she's in jail and institutions and almost has died. She's been Narcan like three times. Oh and she's a very, she's a very dear friend of mine, but she lost the, the spiritual war up there. And it, it, it gets, the stories up there were pretty crazy for that one night. Wow. Unbelievable. I'm sorry about your friend. Yes, absolutely. I ran for governor in 2018, and she was my campaign manager. So that was somebody I was, uh, you know, trusted and stuff. So, yeah, yeah she, she went down quick. Spirits, 
they will, I think sometimes spirits make people into drug addicts or any, any vice they could have, they make it greater, I think. That's why I don't want nothing to do with them. Yeah. I, people that don't believe in a God, I say you've never seen the powers of darkness and the powers of light fight for somebody's soul. Right. I have seen crazy things when an addict is on the precipice of going one way or the other. It's the craziest stuff. I, I used to be a drug and alcohol counselor. So, and I used to, I was a counselor for the homeless population and also adolescents and women that were homeless and that kind of thing. Well, You're awesome, Vinny. Mary. No, I sucked at well, it. I, I, I didn't come close. I, uh, news flash. I didn't win. You got farther than I did. <laughs> That's awesome. I've never met a, gov a gubernatorial candidate in all of this that I do. And well, all the years I've been doing this shit. <laughs> it doesn't take much. <laughs> There's normally a crazy homeless guy that's always on the ballot, too. Well, I just want to say thank you all very much. I appreciate your all's time. Thanks for having us. And uh, race, how does everybody get a hold of you if they if they want to reach out to you? Me? Yeah, and, and oh. listen to you. Well, I've got a couple of Facebooks. I got a personal Facebook. I got a public Facebook. But everything that I do is at unxnetwork.com. Unxnetwork.com. And we've got XCon coming up here next week. Um, on uh, it, you know. We were going to have it on the weekend, but there was some problems with the venue last minute. We had to change our venue. So it's going to be in Springfield, Missouri, instead of Kansas city this year. And, um, so it's going to be a big birthday party. Come out and hang out with us. If you ain't got anything to do and you're going to be in the area, it's going to be a lot of fun on Halloween night there on, uh, you know, it's a Tuesday night. It's going to be oh, crazy. Wow. Right. Right. Mike, what about you, sir? Yeah, you can find me. My website, MikeRicksecker.com. Also, I uh, have a, a community site that I have, the Connected Universe Portal. And there's a bunch of uh, uh, videos out there with all this wonderful information, the travel vlogs, all that stuff. And then the, the community back end where, you know, like-minded folks, you know, talk about all this wonderful and crazy phenomenon. And then, of course, you can find me the regular social media sites like, you know, Facebook, Instagram, uh that old Twitter now X thing, uh, uh, TikTok and all those sites. So yeah, awesome, Vinny. I'm watching the silent movie film right now. You're muted. Run! Here comes Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was farting a lot. Um, I put myself on mute. Uh, Big and Funky Productions, the YouTube page, uh, bigandfunkyproductions.com. Uh, I'm on Facebook under this name, Vinny Vineyard. We're making, we're in the process of making six horror comedies about the legends and lore of the Appalachian South and the Great Smoky Mountains. So we're doing each movie features some sort of cryptid that a lot of people never heard of. Everybody talks about Bigfoot and the Jersey Devil and things like this, but we're going for things that nobody's really heard of that uh, people of this area talk about a lot. And so we also have a paranormal TV show called Wrestling with Ghosts, which will be um, uh, 
I'm going to start putting those back on YouTube soon after I kind of re-edit them uh, to kind of make them look more modern and stuff. So, and uh, you know, we do all sorts of stuff, man. We do uh, comedy skits and uh, comedy TV shows and and uh, rest pro wrestling and all sorts of jives. So you'll never know what the big and funky gang is going to be into. But check out uh, our movies: The Hike, WJHCAM, and uh, Camp Smokey is about to be released before Halloween. That's on your streaming services. Well, thank you, gentlemen. Mm. It's been a pleasure. And from coast to coast and around the world, that's a wrap. We'll catch you on the next show, everybody. Good night. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye.